Welcome sports fans to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. They're covering the most current issues in sports from the 305 to the 412 and all the way to the West Coast. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don or email them at JT and the Don at gmail.com. Now take it away, guys. Welcome to the College Football Conference Championship Special of JT and the Don. We are coming to you from our Miami studios and on location at Studio 107 in Bethesda, Maryland. I am the Don Donato Bucci. And remember to please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. We have a special guest with us today, but first, let me welcome in everyone's favorite, JT, Jimmy Thompson. How you feeling today? I was feeling okay until I realized that we'd be in the presence of greatness again. Yes, I mean, sir. This, the guy, the dude that's on this show today killed it the first time, learned that he was an even bigger legend than I thought he was. Now, this time, I'm humbled. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm just going to step back and let him do the entire show. We, we, we truly have a legend on today. We do. We do. So our special guest is a repeat guest, which I failed to properly introduce last time. I didn't do him oh, justice. Failed, failed is an understatement. <laughs> you just didn't. I, I feel like the wrong guy came on the show by your description. Well, he is the special teams coordinator and running back coach of the Landon football team. But he is also a lacrosse legend. From the 2007 NCAA National Championship John Hopkins University team, Coach Connor Cassidy, welcome back to JT and the Don. How are you today? I'm good, except for that intro, but we'll leave that behind and just say uh, it's good to see you guys again. Good to be back on the show. You're right. You're right. I do apologize for the the subpar introduction the first time. You're right. I am sorry. Can we can we drop a clues bomb for? Coach Connor being on the national championship team. Thank you, man. Legend, legend. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if these guys we're gonna talk about are gonna live up to the legendary status that he has, but we're gonna see. We're gonna try. We're gonna try. So let's uh, jump into the big weekend last weekend in college football uh, rivalry weekend. Uh, some big, big games. Uh, in total, just want to see how you guys felt overall about the games. I know what my biggest upset was because I called it. Uh, I know Donato's not going to want to give me credit for it. But I want to hear from you guys. Uh, what was your biggest upset and why? Uh, so my biggest upset was a bit obscure. I'm going with the Land of Lincoln trophy game with Northwestern beating Illinois 29-10. This game was in Champaign. Uh, Northwestern came in at 2-9. and nine. Illinois came in at 6-5. and five. Northwestern had only beaten UNLV and UMass, uh, UMass being like the worst team in Division I. Uh, and Illinois had a decent team. year. Upset Wisconsin. Um, so they've been playing pretty good football. It was amazing hearing uh, Coach Fitz after the game in his press conference talking about how they prepared with a bowl game mentality, like a one-game season. And they came in with like a four-wheel drive offensive mentality with the weather. Uh, 
and the stats reflected that. So their reserve quarterback who started the game had only uh, 10 passing attempts and rushed the ball 30 times. It's incredible. Uh, And then their running back, who led the team with 123 yards rushing and a TD on only seven carries, Coco Azima, was a converted running back from defensive back. So you're looking at this, like, wounded team from Northwestern with only two wins going on the road and winning their fifth straight game in that rivalry series. So it wasn't like Illinois should have been sleeping on them in terms of, like, the recent record in the series. Okay, I get it that they had fallen, you know, to a – a team with a bad record, but to me, that was the biggest upset. See, Coach, that is why we bring you on right there. <clears throat> no one else would have, like, thought of that. And that and look at the – he had the details to back it up. That's why we bring you on. Thanks again for being on. JT, according to Vegas, the biggest upsets weren't even really rivalry games. Like, it's part of rivalry weekend, but they weren't rivalries. Miami losing to Duke. Miami was an eight-point favorite. And then Pitt losing at home to Boston College. Pitt was eight-point favorites. So those were technically the biggest upsets, according to Vegas. Now, according to the Don, I would say it's Virginia, UVA, upsetting Virginia Tech because, believe it or not, VT was favored in that game. And that win stopped Virginia Tech's 15-game win streak against UVA. I mean, that's incredible. Because, yes, Virginia Tech's had some good teams, but to win 15 straight, that's amazing. And then for UVA, the upside of winning the game not only stopped the streak, but they're going to their first ACC title game. So that is why it was the biggest uh, upset of the, of the weekend. And a fun fact, the ACC Coastal Division has now had the past seven years seven different winners. I mean, you talk about parity in that division. That's not good <laughs> for like teams like Miami. I don't know if parity is the word <laughs> I use. I think I think it's something else. That's how bad that division is. But anyway, that's the fun fact. Virginia was the last one to finally make it. Seven years, seven different teams, or however many teams they have in the coastal. So does that mean that they go back to the beginning? So, not, <laughs> so how long does Miami have to wait in line until it's our turn again? We got five more years. Shit. <laughs> we'll take that, though, considering it took us like 14. Hell no, I won't. I'm not waiting five it, more years just to make it to the it, ACC championship game to get crushed by It Clemson. took us 14 years to get to our first one since entering the ACC. I'll take that. Uh, you, you got too much time in your hand. Uh, you guys bring up great games. Um, I'm just going to be petty and say, yeah, it's Auburn over Bama. That's the biggest upset to me. Not just because I called it last week in the show, but it's because, in all honesty, Nobody thought Auburn was going to win this game. And even when me and you talked about it, you know, offline, you're like, no, they just they can't do it. They don't have enough talent. And only thing I just can remember in my mind is that kick six game. And I'm like, I just have a feeling that's going to happen, that they're going to win. It's going to be something like that. And it's going to come down either to a kick or something crazy. And, of course, it came down to a missed field goal. But in all honesty, I just thought that was the biggest surprise because Auburn just really played above their heads and they pl- they played really well and hard. And they actually matched Bama in every way in that game, and that's something I thought they couldn't do. So you would um, you would be petty about that since you did pick Auburn in the weekend predictions. But again, I, I wouldn't did, expect I anything said that. different. Why, why are you repeating it? I already said that. Yes, I, I'm being petty. I, I just want to make sure I you am. know. I am. This guy. I, I got great friends like you to remind me every time. Thanks. But let's kind of let's kind of go a little bit deeper into that. So 
it can be, you know, a game or a moment or a player, but overall in last weekend's uh, rival games, what was the biggest surprise to you? Uh, boy, I thought we were going games for this only, so that's what I focused on. And I took mm-hmm. uh, Syracuse beating Wake in the Dome, another like kind of off-the-radar game last weekend, and this one obviously not really a rivalry game. But again, like Syracuse has had a really down year, surprisingly. Uh, and Wake has had a pretty solid season. And even though Syracuse is a home team, uh, I thought the, the fact that uh, Wake lost that one and the manner in which they lost in overtime on this crazy strip play that was returned for a touchdown uh, was, was the biggest surprise to me. That, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to go with – and JT likes to change that up just in case other times you come back. Like, he'll like to change it up a little bit. Like, instead of just saying, what was the surprise game? Because I thought the same thing. He'll be like, or just surprise moment or anything you think was a surprise. So, JT likes to do that. That's all right. I didn't take him in there anywhere. (laughs) Well, in all all fairness, I told him – I was very vague with the word surprise. So, I'll take credit for that. But that that is a really good point, though. I, I'm going to go with Alabama on a couple things. 13 penalties. When is the last time you saw a Nick Saban team with 13 penalties as well as give up as many points as they did, which you got to go back to Michigan State? Oh, I do. I remember um, it was last Saturday when they played Auburn and they lost. I know. That's my whole point of why it's a surprise. Yeah, that's the last time I saw before that's the last time I saw those stats. It was it was crazy, right? All right, Petty. Did they win that? All right, game? Mr. Petty over there. Listen, before then it was Michigan State. All right. You have to go back a long time. So thirteen penalties, gave up a ton of points, and they were out coached at the end. Gus Malzahn, and you'll appreciate this, Coach Cassidy, with the the sneaky kind of special teams thing. Left the punter out there, put him at receiver. I think he kept Bo Nix in the backfield. Alabama doesn't know what to do. They're rushing guys on and off. They're they're stuck with 12 guys. And then what's even more surprising, after the game, Saban is saying that Gus Malzahn was, like, tricky about it, like, sneaky about it. Of course he's trying to win a game. You weren't prepared when Bill Belichick does it or, or Nick Saban does it. We're like, they're geniuses. So... That I would not have expected any of that. The penalties, the defense giving up so many points to really an Auburn offense that hasn't been good, and then being outcoached in, I really think, all facets of the game, not just that special teams play. No, that's a good point. Uh, my surprise is more of, like, from a season-long perspective, but this weekend kind of highlighted it. Um, I don't know if you guys stayed up to watch that Arizona-Arizona Arizona State game. I just don't understand – like, how, how uh, Arizona quarterback Khalil Tate and Kevin Sumlin, how are those two not been a match made in heaven? Like, I just don't get, like, the struggles at that program. Like, Sumlin turned Manziel into a monster when he was at Texas A&M. And, like, to me, I still think Khalil Tate's an NFL quarterback. He's probably a top five as far as talent dual threat quarterback in college football. Like, how are, how are they 4-8 and eight and not a 7-win team? And they just look like – they look like they just really – Something's wrong there, and I don't understand why those two haven't been able to gel because they seem like a, such a perfect fit. Like that was like the biggest takeaway for me from watching like the games this weekend. Yeah, well, that I was gonna say that that's that is a a great point there. Um, you don't always think of Arizona, but at one point, Nobody like they had the desert swarm, like they were a really good program. And yeah, I, 
I wonder too. That's a great question, JT. Like, how aren't how are they not better with those with those two guys, quarterback coach combo? Um, but teams that are really good, we're gonna see this weekend. And coach, this is why we brought you in the conference championship weekend. We're gonna go through all of the major conference championship games, the big ones. Um, so first, I want to start with Georgia LSU, which I find LSU only being like a seven point favorite, a little questionable by vegas because i thought it would be you think it's disrespectful i think it is i think it should be 10 points not seven whoa whoa whoa. 10 points is a lot man. it is but i'll get to why i think it is but coach want to swing it to you first first can georgia win and then two even if they cannot what must be their game plan like what must they do to win so first thing georgia can definitely win this is their third straight appearance in the SEC championship game. So they're experienced. They know the deal. They're ready to go. Uh, the location in Atlanta favors them. Almost a de facto home game in a sense. Um, but what they need to focus on is winning the line of scrimmage. Their D-line is exceptional. Uh, and they've got to outplay the LSU O-line. And they've also got to do a great job on their side of the ball Uh, winning the line of scrimmage with their O-line, opening up holes for the running game and DeAndre Swift. Uh, Building on that, they got to control the clock with the run game and keep the ball out of Joe Burrow and uh, the Tiger offense's hands. And then they got to limit the explosive plays from the LSU offense. They do those three things, and they'll find themselves in a great opportunity to win the game. Uh, And then just to look out for uh, a storyline here is to keep an eye on the running backs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire has had an amazing season for the Tigers. Uh, Coach Smart couldn't say enough positive things about him this week in the press conference leading up to the game. And I think, like, having watched uh, LSU this year, the receivers and Burrow get a lot of attention, but he's kind of that X factor that makes the offense go. And then looking at Georgia, running back DeAndre Swift, how's his health? How is he going to be able to, uh, you know, carry the ball and enable the Georgia offense, which is kind of methodical and kind of, like, you know, vanilla, how will, you know, he enable them to uh, keep them in it and, and, you know, make plays to help them win the game? No, he bring, you bring up really good points, and you, you took a lot of, the, like, the words out of my mouth that I was going to use. But here's the thing. For all the stats and things that you put out there that were great, this is why I don't think Georgia can win the game, and it's because Donato knows how I feel about this. Jake Fromm, the quarterback for Georgia, is always going to cap their upside. And what this game is going to come down to is who can make more plays, Joe Burrow or Jake Fromm? And who do you trust in that situation? I know it's not Fromm. It's definitely Burrow. Guy's going to be a number one overall pick. And it's evidenced by what Fromm's done this year. I think he has, what, six games under 200 yards passing on the season. That's not going to get it done in this game. But I will say this. You brought up a great point about uh, DeAndre Swift because I feel like he's the X factor and the key to this game. And there is no way that they will have a chance to win this game if he doesn't get 30-plus touches. Like, they have to go through him. They have to slow this game down. And the defense has to get after Burrow. And it's not like Joe Burrow hasn't performed well in these big games against top 25 teams. He's, what, uh, got just over 1,400 yards and 11 touchdowns against four top 25 teams this season. But – I think this is a weird matchup, and this is the only shot Georgia has. We all know LSU is a high-flying offense, right? They're number two in scoring offense in the nation at like 48 a game, and they're number two in passing yards per game. 
but Georgia is the number two ranked run defense and the number 15 against the pass. So their defense is still a Georgia defense, and that means that, like you said, it's going to have to go through Swift and the running backs. They're going to have to slow this game down. Georgia has to make LSU one-dimensional and hope that number 15 pass defense shows up, and that, that will be the only shot they have to win this game. Well, I should have went first because you guys took a lot of my points. Great job. So, Coach Cassidy, to go back to what you said, to win if Georgia has any shot, they need to run the ball and stop the big plays by Burrow, Jefferson, Chase, um, Jamar Chase, and company. They, they can't give up the big explosion plays. Now, if DeAndre Swift is not 100%, there's no shot that they win. I don't think they have a chance to win even with Swift. So if Swift is injured, should Vegas move the line to 20? Uh, probably like 14, two touchdowns. I would think, so listen, if he's not 100%, not even just play, he needs to be 100% because if he ran the way he did like the last couple of weeks, I don't think that's going to cut it. Like he's just not gonna, going to be able to do it the way he, you know, he, he ran the last couple of weeks. So I don't see them making it even competitive. Even, even if he plays, even if he's 100%, he gives them a chance, but I still don't think they make it competitive because of their offense. I did the research for you, JT. These, oh, you did. Thank you. Listen to these stats. Texas A&M, all right? This was before the South Carolina game just last week. He was from 11 of 23, 163 yards. That's it. This is 2019 in college football. Those are the stats on the number four ranked you. team? I've been, are, Listen, are you it willing, gets better. Are you willing to come around? Hold I've on. been telling you, Fromm Hold is on. not a good quarterback. I agree, and this is why I'm saying it's not even competitive. Against Auburn, 13 of 28, 100 10 passing yards, three touchdowns, but 110 passing yards. Come on. The offense did the rest for you. You did nothing in that game. And then Missouri, 13 of 29, 173 yards and two touchdowns. It's Missouri. They fired their coach. They are not Alabama SEC defense. So they have, they have no shot. No shot. So let's go to another potential blowout game. UVA. Talk about not having a shot. <laughs> <laughs> UVA versus Clemson. You should have saved that fire for this game. <laughs> I hope you got. I hope you got stats just like that to back up why UVA can't win. This game. No, no stats are needed. Any chance, Coach? I'll, I'll swing it to you first. That UVA beats Clemson, and what must they do to pull it off? Like if they are going to win, what must they do? I guess besides play a perfect game, kidnap Trevor Lawrence. So I do. I do think Georgia has a shot and will keep it com- somewhat close. However, this one for UVA over Clemson is going to be a really tough one to pull off. I think the line currently has them as a 29-point underdog, and that's a lot. Uh, So if they're going to pull off this miracle, they're going to need their quarterback, Bryce Perkins, to have a phenomenal game. He's going to have to be dynamic as a dual threat, both running and passing, and he's going to have to be, like, turnover-free. He's got to be perfect. Um and, you know, I would expect Clemson to try to really limit the QB run game and force him to make plays with his arm through the air. Uh, and then the other thing they're going to have to do is turn the ball over. Uh, they're going to have to limit the Clemson possessions by turning it over, and then they're going to have to earn their offense short field so they can capitalize and get some points up. But uh, it's going to be a real tough one to do, and uh, I, I, I would not expect to see it. I agree with you on one point. I think the only way – they have a shot to be in this game is 
they do have to force Trevor Lawrence to turn the ball over, and they got to force him to play the way he did, like, through their first six games where he was just, you know, carelessly turning over the ball, even though they were winning games. But with that being said, us being on the same page as that's the only way they can win the game, that ain't going to happen because Lawrence has been on the tear. And people forget, like, I th- were we watching this game when they lost uh, Bryce Hall against – was it against Miami they lost him, the cornerback? Yep. That's NFL. Yeah. That's an NFL cornerback. That was so a big loss for them. They don't have him. There's no way that they can shut down those receivers of Clemson. And let's just call it what it is. They lost to Miami. Hell no. They're trash. There's no way they beat Clemson. I, I don't give a damn if, if they come up with the best game plan ever invented. Vince Lombardi couldn't win this game. You, you don't care if Herman Moore walks back through that door. I don't I don't give a damn if Herman <laughs> Ruth walks in there. There's no way they're going to win that game. Well, I don't think they have a chance either. The last I looked at was 28 points. Coach, you're more up to date on it. it uh, it's 29. And – I, I agree. Ball pos- I think ball possession, if they have any shot, ball possession, they need to control the, the, the clock. That means when the defense gets Clemson to third downs, they got to get off the field. And the offense cannot turn it over. But not only does Bryce Perkins need to play like he did last week against Virginia Tech, he needs to play even better than that. And he was phenomenal last week. And what I mean by better, he needs to have that Michael Vick-type game that Vic had against Florida State in the Sugar Bowl title game back 20 years ago. Well, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, like, I'll that's bet, the I'll only bet, shot. That is the even I'll bet if, all. I bet all your income for the next five years, he ain't going to be Michael Vick in the next No, no, no. I, I'm definitely not betting that. I'm, you, I'm not betting that. But the question is what must happen for them to win. That's what would need to happen. And no offense to – you know, this is nothing against Bryce Perkins. He just – Oh, he's it's not offense be, against Bryce. He's not going to be able to do it good. against the Clemson team. It's just it's not going to be it's not going to be there. So we're going to go through some of the other remaining the other remaining games of the conference championship weekend. Um, guys, give me one thing to keep an eye on from each of these games as I read them off. Uh, Coach, I'll start with you. Oregon versus Utah. That's the Friday night game. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this game and. Uh, Utah obviously has a shot to make it into the playoff, which I, I guess we'll get into uh, in a minute here. But the storyline, I think, to keep your eye on is uh, Oregon QB, Justin Herbert, versus the Utah defense. Uh, the Utah D, <laughs> the Utah D ranks uh, top three nationally in rush defense, total yards, and points allowed. They're playing excellent defense. Their coordinator is a finalist for the Broyles Award, which is given to the top assistant in the country. I didn't uh, know that. That's why we bring him on the show, JT. <laughs> I know, and, I know. The hell with you. And Justin Herbert has been up and down. He has been up and down. And when the Ducks went to Arizona State, he threw two picks. Uh, he had problems turning the ball over earlier in the season. And so it'll be interesting to see how like this highly touted quarterback and – Solid O-line holds up against the very stingy and veteran Utah defense. One media outlet put seven of the uh, first-team uh, first Pac-12 defenders as Utes. So that's fairly impressive, to say the least. See, you know, I know there's a reason I like this guy, because we think a lot alike. I, I promise we didn't, we didn't share notes before this, but I got a lot of the same things that he has down. And I 100% agree with you, not only because I picked Utah to make the college football playoff, but... It is going to come down to Justin Herbert against that amazing Utah defense. And like you read, number one rush defense, third best scoring defense in the country. 
I thought it was crazy that the front seven has limited opponents to a nation best 56 yards per game on the ground. That's the best in the country by 15 yards. So what that tells me is, Justin Herbert, you're up. Show us you're a top 10 draft pick. I don't think you are. I know he's not. And this is going to be the game that shows why he shouldn't be drafted. I'm going to go the other side of the ball for Oregon. Of course, because you picked Oregon. Yeah, we know. I'm going to go to the other side of the ball for Oregon. I think it's going to come down to can they stop the Hollandale trio of Huntley, Moss, and Simpkins? If they can stop those guys, eventually Oregon's going to score. We saw it last week. Colorado scored. Steve, I believe his name, Steve Montez, you know I'm a big Colorado guy. Like, they were able to score on them in the first half. So the problem was eventually Utah got their offense going. But if Oregon can shut down that trio – it's a different game. Herbert is eventually going to score. It's just a matter of when. So if they can keep it 10-7 going into the fourth, I like Oregon putting up some points in the fourth quarter. So that's where I went there. JT's a little biased because he picked Utah at the beginning of the year. I picked Oregon to be in the so top So this is four. basically going to come down to, <laughs> well, you know. Well, I can't, I can't win my prediction. My only hope is that you don't get I your don't prediction right. <laughs> My misery is going to bring you happiness. That's <laughs> hey, 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 that's just the way it is on this show. Baylor versus Oklahoma. Coach, one thing to look for. Uh, I would say, I guess, the setting of the game. So the the regular season matchup between these two teams was in Waco. Uh, and obviously the championship game is at Jerry World. And I think that's going to make a big difference. Uh, OU got off to a slow start. They were without uh, CeeDee Lamb. Uh, Jalen Hurts was turning the ball over, and I don't think you'll see those things uh, this weekend from Oklahoma. I think you know this is you know they've they've been here before. They've been in the Big Twelve title game. They're experienced. They know what's going to be uh, expected of them. So they won't have that slow start. They're going to come out fast. So uh, look for the setting to to be a, a factor in this one. Good point. That that was one of the craziest games I think of the year was their first matchup, but. Um, I think it's going to play into are they going to come out flat like they did the first time and Oklahoma's really going to have to not fall behind and not come out like lackadaisical. Obviously, like you said, they didn't have Lamb the first time. First of all, side note, I've never heard of this before because in the NFL they don't do this. In that game, in that first game, they were like, C.D. Lamb is still in concussion protocol, but he might play. Like, he's questionable to play. Like, I've never heard of that either. You're in concussion protocol or you're out. Well, I think it's like – it seems like there's an in-game concussion protocol, right? Where no, like this was, this was before the game. Before that Baylor game, they were like, oh, he's still in concussion protocol, but they don't know if he's going to suit up yet. He's questionable. I'm like, so, I didn't know that was an option. Well, I think the way it is is that they'll make you, like, active or whatever, and you'll still be in concussion protocol, but you've been practicing. But I think they want to see how you react after a couple days of practice leading into the game. So, like, you can still be in it, but you can get out of it, I think, right before the game. Because if the doctors clear you, okay, he's practiced Wednesday, Thursday, walk through Friday, Saturday, no symptoms, you're good. This sounds like the most Cliff Kingsbury thing I've ever heard. (laughs) But, yeah, I think it'll come down to is Oklahoma going to come out flat? And then I think all these games are going to be about draft stock and – one of the players I really like is the linebacker Kenneth Murray for Oklahoma. Every time I watch their games, he's like jumping off the screen. This is the game. If he takes it over, show me you're a top 15 pick because I feel like he can win this game for them and dominate, and he's got to be the X factor. 
Look at you name dropping. Impressive. I like him. Every time I watch the Oklahoma game, number nine is jumping off the screen. Okay, okay. I think Dolphins my, need to take him. I, th- <laughs> I think my one thing to look for is kind of a combination of what you guys were saying. I think it's going to be a close game going into the fourth quarter. I don't think either team's going to pull away. And what's going to have to happen is Baylor is – can they seal the deal? That's going to be, I think, the thing to look for in the fourth quarter. They blew it last time at home. But neutral site, so they're still not in Norman, Oklahoma. They're not at Oklahoma. Like, neutral site, can you seal the deal? Because I think they're good enough to compete. It's just a matter of can you, can you win in the end? Like, can you make more plays than Jalen Hurts in that Oklahoma offense? Cincinnati-Memphis. I'm actually looking forward to this game. This is like an exciting, an exciting game of the, of the Power Five conference ones. Or, I'm sorry, of the Group of Five conference uh, championship games. Uh, they just played literally last weekend, rivalry weekend. So Cincinnati versus Memphis. Coach, what should we look for? I'm looking at the Cincinnati quarterback situation. So their starting QB, uh, Desmond Ritter, was out last weekend. And Ben Bryant, the backup, actually played okay. He, uh, <clears throat> he rushed for one touchdown and I think threw for two, but also turned the ball over several times with a couple picks and a fumble. Uh, so who's going to get the start under center for Cincinnati is what to look for and how that uh, impacts their prospects this weekend in the rematch. He brings up some really good points, but I'm gonna I want to I want to take it to something beyond this game. And you guys mentioned that they just played, so obviously they know each other. It's gonna be it's gonna be an exciting game. I just want to know this game will tell me the biggest storyline to watch out for is which team wants it bad enough to take the spotlight from UCF in this conference because I feel like this game could do it and the Knights future that they, they, it doesn't look as bright since that McKenzie Milton injury so I think there's there's room for one of these teams to kind of start that process of hey we're winning this conference championship now is our time to try to take the take the reins from UCF while they're a little bit down and not the powerhouse they were before with this one, I'm going to go with, since they did play just last weekend, can Cincinnati avoid the early start by Memphis? Opening kickoff last week, Memphis took it to the house. You're already behind 7 nothing on the road. As well as, can they limit turnovers this time? So those are the two things. Can Cincy avoid the hot start by Memphis? And can Cincy limit their turnovers compared to, to last game? And real quick, guys, going back to the Oregon in this game, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, no, you definitely are. Don't I like it. Oregon plus six and a half. That's a lot of points to give. I'm not saying that Oregon wins outright, but do we really think Utah wins by a touchdown or more when Oregon is still fighting for the conference championship? They would like nothing more than to ruin it for Utah. You see what he's trying to do, right? He's saying they can't make the college football playoff. But they're not good enough to win by what Vegas says. It doesn't matter. They're going to win the game. Utah's going to be in. And then the Cincy-Memphis. It was a 10-point spread last weekend at Memphis. It's 10 points again. And normally what we say is three points extra to the home team. So technically on a neutral field last week, Vegas only saw them as a seven-point favorite. Now they bumped it to 10? That's telling me they don't think Cincy can keep it close two weeks in a row at 10 points. So, not that I'm a betting man, but I would like Memphis there, minus the 10. So, our last game to look at, Wisconsin-Ohio State. 
Coach, I mean, what should we look for here? But I, I don't know if Wisconsin can can win realistically, but what should we look for? Yeah, Wisconsin's going to have their handful with the Buckeyes for sure. Um, but I think one thing to look at is the Wisconsin play calling. I think there was some criticism that they were too conservative in their first matchup with the Buckeyes. And so now that this is the championship game, uh, you know, they're big underdogs. They got nothing to lose. Will they be a little bit more aggressive? Will they, will they try to stay a little bit more balanced, run pass, um, especially early in the drives and early in the, uh, uh, the down and distance? And uh, obviously Jonathan Taylor is a huge player for them, special player, uh, and any shot they have to win is going to take a huge effort from him. Uh, but how aggressive will they be with their play calling? And, and the whole thing with uh, kicking field goals versus scoring touchdowns, you saw Ohio State against Michigan last weekend. Michigan was trading in the trading field goals for touchdowns in the second half, and that's not gonna that's not gonna be a recipe for success. So, like, how often are they going for it on fourth down? How often are they being aggressive? Things like that. Good points. I just think it's gonna come down to which player wants to show they want to win the Heisman more, Justin Fields or J.K. Dobbins. I think that's what it comes down to because I think Ohio State's gonna dominate this game. Um. The question is, can Wisconsin play its best game in the history of its program? Because that's what it's going to take to win. Let's let's. They should play. They should play the Buckeyes like they played UM in that bowl game. Yeah, I mean that. This is what it's going to come down to. Can they put it all together and everyone plays their best game? And it starts with stopping Dobbins and then shutting down or at least containing Chase Young on the defensive side. So, Coach Cassidy. First with you, best game of this weekend in college and why? All right, well, uh, I feel bad for going first every time here, uh, taking the easy storylines. You're the expert. That's why we got you here. That's why we got you. We got to follow your lead. So I think it's safe to eliminate the ACC and the big uh, 10 games due to the lines. Uh, No one thinks those are going to be very competitive. Uh, And all the games, all the rest of the games feature – like highly ranked teams that are closely ranked, so it should be pretty exciting to watch. But I think the you know the easy choice here is the SEC championship game. It's got so much history. It's got so much fanfare. Um, one of my criticisms of these championship games is these neutral sites that don't really draw a great crowd and don't really have a great atmosphere. I think they're playing at uh, Levi Stadium for the Pac-12 maybe, and they're playing in Charlotte for the ACC championship game. And those games will draw like 25,000 people, and it just kind of feels flat, whereas that's never the case for the SEC title game. So I think that's a lot of fun. And not to mention that this is like the number two team in the country or the number one team in the country and the number four team in the country. And truthfully, Georgia is playing for a playoff bid. So all the stakes surrounding the game, all the talent on both sides of the ball, on both rosters, like, I mean, it's it's – it's the easy choice. It's it's the obvious choice. So I apologize, boys, for stealing that one. No, that's okay. And JT, before I kick it over to you, one thing that coach said about like the game and tickets and the fanfare. Well, ACC title game. I don't even think it's sold out yet. I just got an email because I went a couple years ago to the Clemson Miami one, and I got it through the ACC whatever ticket site it is. So I got an email saying. Oh, there's tickets available. Like, you know, still come to Charlotte. Like, yo, we're like two days away from the game. You haven't sold it out. And then if you go look on StubHub, the Big 12 in the Big 10 title games, 
are at like $55 a ticket for their cheapest ones. Like this is a title game. This is to go to the college football playoff, and you're at $55? Like obviously the SEC is way more. I think the cheapest one I saw was $180. Easier, easier to go to the game when you can drink and walk on campus than going to Charlotte. Well, true, but even the Big Ten and, and Big 12, like they're at neutral sites. But these are the two best teams in those conferences – Ohio State, big program. Oklahoma, you know, travels well. And the tickets are like $55. So, so JT, uh, what's, what's your um, best game of the weekend? I think, I think Coach did a good, good, uh, great job. It's a mic drop. It's no-brainer. It's the SEC championship game. It is. And it's just for all the reasons that he named, especially because this game is the major domino to see where everyone's going to land for the college football playoff because, you know, Georgia wins. What happens? LSU wins. What happens? So that's the biggest and best game of the weekend. I think it's just going to be the most exciting whether whether what we think is going to happen is going to happen or not. I just think the most talent we're going to see is going to be between those two teams this weekend. I think it's Baylor-Oklahoma. I think it's going to be better than the first game. And JT, you already said that was a crazy game. Like, I think this one's going to be better than the first game. I think it's going to be an offensive explosion again with the game going down to the wire. And I mean to literally the last play of the game. Not like last time where Oklahoma scored and then, you know, Baylor couldn't couldn't drive um, at the end, I believe. This is going to go down to the last play. Either a team needs to make a defensive stop at the goal line or a team needs to score at the goal line, however you want to look at it. And the reason why I think it's such a big game is because I think LSU wins. I'm giving away a little bit of my weekend predictions. LSU wins and – no offense, JT. I think Utah loses. So the winner of this game, Oklahoma Baylor, is going to be the number four seed. So that's why it's going to be such a crazy game. You know, kick, drag out, whatever you want to call it, like down to the wire. It's going to be a phenomenal game. So let's play a little game here, a little hypothetical game. You know, JT, I like to do hypotheticals to waste some time. Oh, oh, but, oh was, was that a Don question? This one is, yes. You can always tell when it's a JT one. It's always like over dramatic. Mine are more hypotheticals because I like to, you know, play. It sounds the... like we're that sounds like you're saying the same thing. <laughs> Let's say Georgia. JT, I'll go to you first. Let's say Georgia beats LSU. That's the first hypothetical. Who are the top four playoff teams then? I think it'll be uh, in no particular order, but I think the four teams that are in are LSU, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State. I, I actually agree, so I won't say anything else. I agree. LSU, Ohio State, What? Clemson, You're not going to say anything? Georgia. Wow. Nope. Wow. Coach, because I agree there. Yeah, definitely. Those are the okay. teams. So, Oklahoma or Oregon, even if they – or I'm sorry, Utah. Utah or Oklahoma, even if they win and Georgia beats LSU – you don't think neither of those teams can jump it's over. over LSU? It's, no. It's over. Okay. Okay. Now, let's say Georgia loses to LSU and Oregon loses to Utah. And then whoever you want to pick, Oklahoma or Baylor, who would you then say would be in the top four if LSU takes care of business? I think it's the same rundown. LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, and I think Utah will be in. Yep. Utah's in. I think with all that happening – I, I know you don't think Utah. I think get Baylor in. gets this. in. I I think again. I think Baylor beats Oklahoma. You are so petty. You'll do anything to not put Utah in. Just face it's not it. They're that. a good team. This is the difference. This is the difference. I don't think 
Utah. The difference is I picked them and no, you didn't. You're like, nah. I don't think Utah has played a tough enough, and this is not their fault, but at the end of the day, this is what you got to look at. The Big 12 to the Pac-12. Besides Oregon and maybe Washington. I think the Big 12 is better. I agree with you. Exactly. And that's why Baylor should get in. If they win, everyone else stays pat. Like, there's no other upsets in there. I think the one case you have is, I think this could be a possibility. So, let's say that goes down. Georgia loses. Uh, Utah and, let's say, Baylor, they win They win their games. I think the voters are going to look at, they beat Oklahoma twice, and we think Oklahoma's a playoff Well, game. Well, they didn't beat Oklahoma twice. They lost I mean, I mean, we. Time. I mean, we played we played them tough. We basically beat them down the first time, my bad. And then we beat them the second time. I think they're going to look at that and say, look, that's a playoff team that we felt has been a top-four team the entire season. And you played them tough the first time, and you beat them the second time when it counted. I could see them getting the edge if the voters think that way about it. Uh, and that's why I think they might look at it that so way. So you guys are right about uh, the Utah – resume it's fairly weak right they don't have these top wins their first ranked win would be the Oregon uh potential victory but the committee has shown week in and week out that they value the Utah brand and I think that's based on the eye test and just watching them play and you like take the metrics out of it they like what they're seeing from the Utah defense they play consistently on offense they're beating teams by 29 points per game since their loss against USC. And you look at Oklahoma and Baylor, and they've kind of just been struggling through the Big 12 schedule. And so I think what the committee has shown, having Utah up above those uh, Big 12 teams, is that the conference affiliation, while it definitely is relevant in the conversation, it doesn't matter as much. And what matters is like what we see when we put on the film, when we watch the games. So I think Utah still gets in. And, and that's where I would disagree with the committee there, because – what else do you want Baylor to do 60 to 6 against Kansas? Like they're beating they're beating up on the teams they're supposed to. And listen, it's not, you know, we might joke about this, but it's not easy going through Kansas State, West Virginia, Texas. Like that's a little easier than Arizona, Oregon State. I mean, come on, like UCLA. Come on, I mean, that, those those teams are not what some of the And listen, Big 12 is not great. Don't get me wrong. But I would say one-loss teams, Utah would finally beat a ranked team. And Oregon's got two losses. I like Oregon. But you got you got to face the facts. Oregon's got two losses. They lost to Arizona State. Oklahoma lost to, what, Kansas State? Kansas State's a top 25 team. And now Baylor has to beat play Oklahoma again after they should have won the first time? What else do you want Baylor to do? I, I don't I – don't, I mean, Utah lost to a weak team. Baylor lost to Oklahoma. Yeah, I think those are those bigger. are fair It'll points. I think it's interesting though that Baylor has not really been respected by the committee the whole way. Uh, even like from the first rankings, they were down there in the mid-teens, and uh, it wasn't really until they, uh, I think, you know, a couple weeks in to the playoff rankings started to climb. So, like, it, I would be surprised if the committee changes what they have put on the record there for like basically, you know, over a month now. So. Ole Miss, their coach was fired this week, basically. And the final nail in the coffin might have been their loss at Starkville to Mississippi State. Thanksgiving night, they lost 21-20. For the fans that don't know or the listeners that don't know, Elijah Moore uh, for Ole Miss scored with four seconds remaining to make it 21-20. Ole Miss was down 21-14. 
but he received a 15-yard penalty for imitating a peeing dog in the end zone after he scored the touchdown, basically what Odell Beckham did. Yeah, he did the Odell. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, yes, there is. Um, he got 15 yards. Then the kicker for Ole Miss, Luke Logan, missed the extra point from basically 30-some yards out after the 15-yard penalty. So, Coach, we'll go to you because this is your expertise being a coach. Who is more to blame here, Elijah Moore for the penalty or Luke Logan missing the extra point, a longer extra point for the loss? All right, so it's hard for me not to wear my coach hat when I answer this question. Uh, And I'm a big believer in the fact that you win the game or lose the game as a team over 60 minutes. Um, Not that it comes down to one specific play. Obviously, these two plays figure heavily into the outcome. But along the line, throughout the course of the game, there's many different plays that swing momentum, like put your team in a good position or in a bad position. Uh, However, you know, if we're evaluating who's playing a larger role in the outcome here, I would have to lean towards Elijah Moore. And the reason being is his mistake is one of discipline, like mental discipline. He, you know, lets the emotions of the moment get the better of him, and he makes a silly mistake, and it costs his team 15 yards. Whereas our kicker, Mr. Logan, he's got to trot out there, like, unexpectedly, right, and kick from 15 yards further back. And obviously, he wants to hit it. Everybody in the Ole Miss world wants him to hit it. But it's hard for me to fault a kid who makes an error of execution more than one who makes an error of discipline. And so for that, I would put more of the responsibility in this case on Elijah Moore. Well said, Coach. Well said. JT? You know what? I feel really bad answering this question because he made such a you know great, beautiful, well-thought-out argument. And <laughs> if, if somebody was coming to recruit my kid, I'd want him to give that speech in my living room. And I'd be like, you know what? I trust my kid going off to be coached by this guy. But let's get real. I hate when the kickers get off easy. They always have some excuse when they don't do their job and they lose games. It's the damn kicker, and it's not even close. Look, yes, was it a stupid penalty? Yes. I'm debating if the ref should even thrown it. But, yes, it was a stupid penalty. It is what it is. You're a kicker. You want Here's the thing. You want to play in the NFL? You got to hit a kick for the win. It was in perfect weather conditions, and I believe it was under 45 yards, right? If you can't make that kick in that moment, enjoy your free education because you won't be kicking at the next level. So it's all on him. Do your job when it's time to have your number called. See, you would do that because you said it's all on him. You would do that to the kicker, man. It is. It is. How is it all on him? They scored. I'm not saying it's all on him, but it's – I would say – You said – no, 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 no. You said that. It's all on him. That was your last sentence. It's all on him. Everybody else did their job. They got down there and scored. Make the damn kick. There's no rain. There's no wind. Okay, and, like, that's fine. Some blame goes on the kicker, but the question is, who is more to blame? And it's got to be Elijah Moore. You know you can't do that. And there you know you why? You want to protect that kicker so bad because no. his, his psyche is so fragile. And, and listen, that aside, and I'll get to that part, but, okay, let's say you want to blame the kicker. The reason why Elijah Moore gets more blame, if this was the first time in the history of, of football he did this, meaning any player, and you get flagged, be like, oh, I didn't know that. What, you couldn't do that? Listen, 
Odell Beckham got a flag and fine. And you know what? Two years earlier, we talked about this off the air. DK Metcalf, he did the same thing in 2017 and got a penalty. So Elijah Moore, you know you can't do this. You know why it's more your fault? It's not even a matter of execution because I have that written down. Like I can live with someone not performing in the big moments and missing a kick because at least you leave it on the field. You know why it's Elijah Moore's fault? It's because he was being selfish there. That was not just a lack of discipline. You're being selfish. You wanted to stand out because you thought you scored the game-tying touchdown when you know you can't do that. DK Metcalf did it two years earlier, and I'm sure he saw and you, that. And you, and you know why it's Luke Logan's fault? Because he was being Aguayo. That's what, that's, you you got to make the kick. It's, it's bottom line. So Elijah Moore can never make a mistake on the football field. and He can't. He can, get, but that was that wasn't the reason they lost this game. And not the get kicker, blamed the for kicker it. can't kick, and he didn't make the so, kick. That's so every what it is. every time Elijah Moore fumbles the ball, we should yell at the kid and take him off the field because he fumbled the ball. No, the reason why you, Elijah you Moore is in if, this if he if he dropped the game winning touchdown, you would say it's his fault they lost. It. He would he would have more blame. He would not have more blame because, like Coach said, it's a whole sixty minute game. The problem here is he was being selfish. Just admit it. It's happened before and got a penalty. When you, know, you, when you know you're not allowed to do something, you got caught or you got in trouble once for it, okay, the first time, hey, you know, even a small kid, like he knows he didn't know right or wrong. Now you know and you still did it. So that's why you should take more accountability, and that's why he's more at fault. Ooh. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, these two run a, a tight bear brine ship. <laughs> if, you, if you got, if, if any, if any young guys are listening out there, if you don't got your attitude together, you can't play for these two. <laughs> so, so let let let, no let me throw league. let me throw the, <laughs> let me throw this question out to you, Coach. First to you, should the ref have thrown the flag? Because that's another question that comes up in this sort of absolutely, situation. Absolutely, because there's no place for celebration in this game. No, I think celebration's great, but I don't think you could take it that far. I, I, I mean, the way the rules are written in the NCAA, this is 100% unsportsmanlike conduct. You have to throw the flag. There's no question. JT? Boom, mic drop. Um, I get what you're saying, but I'm going to say no, and I hate when the refs do this. Like, I just I – just, it annoys me that college football players can't celebrate. And I, I hate when the refs throw these flags on, like, game-altering plays. Like, when I saw this, I just automatically go back. Do you remember when Jake Locker was at Washington and they played that game against BYU and they tied it up? And he was just so excited. He just, like, threw the ball up. And they flagged him and threw it. And they backed the kicker up and it got blocked. And it's essentially, like, the same type of situation. Yeah, but to me, like, you're right. It's, like, the same scenario. But to me, the reaction of the two players is totally Oh, totally different. Totally different. Totally different. But my my where I was going with that was more of the refs. Would it hurt him to just swallow the whistle just for one second? Like in the moment. I can see if it was the first or second quarter and, and you know, they scored a touchdown, and he did that. Yeah, throw the flag. But this is for the game. Like they've they've battled their asses off to get to this point. They've come back, they've tied it up. Now they gotta go for this easy, well, supposedly easy PAT. Just let the kids play in that moment and don't take this game away from them when they work so hard to battle back. But they didn't take away from them. The Ole Miss players did they this did to because, themselves. Because the refs, the, the refs knew that uh, Logan was a sorry so kicker. You have to, but you have to understand the context of this celebration. I understand if, the rule, yes. Hold on. It's not just the rule. Hold on. If it was anything else within reason, I'd say don't throw the flag. Don't be a part of 
the if win he, loss. If, let's let's say if he scored and he twerked, would you would you did it throw the flag then too? No, I don't. Because the difference is if you don't throw it here, you threw it two years ago for DK Metcalf, then when can they do it and when can they not? So if you're Mississippi State, your mascot's name is the Bulldogs. This is why they're doing it, right? So like you need to take a firm stance on this specific celebrate. If it was anything else, if he threw it 50 rows into the stands, if he did the worm on the ground, if they did a choreography, if they did a dance the way the Seattle Seahawks receivers do, I'd be fine with all of that. The problem you're, you're is – You're in love with that Seattle Seahawks I celebration. Am, that's, that's pretty great. To, to, every, to everyone that's listening, they this guy has – He's literally texted me three or four times about this <laughs> since that since that whole celebration went down the Monday night game. It's, I, it's, I, you I know what you it. need to do? You need you need to you need to get with the team. You guys need to practice that. You need to be the focal point of that celebration. You need to film it so we can put it on social media. He no, wants nah, so badly to 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 be in this choreography to do that dance. You're Russell Wilson in that situation. You ran you ran to the I, guys. You're like, let me in, let, let me, me in. in. Can I play? Can I play? So listen, they need to keep a firm stance because then it's going to get out of hand. If if they throw, they don't throw the flag this year, but they throw it next year. If I'm Ole Miss, I'm like, okay, well, when can we do it and when can't we? So they they have to take a firm stance on this specific one. I hate saying it, but they should have thrown it, and I think they were right there. Yeah, because that celebration is the biggest issue in college football. Okay, but I tell you what, one thing in college football that I just can't get a you know a firm grip on in. I don't understand what, what's the problem with this program. That's the Texas Longhorns. They just always seem like they're just going backwards every single year, no matter what they do. So they're 7-5 and five this year, 5-4 and four in the conference. And it's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing with them. They almost beat Oklahoma in the Red, Red River game, but then, they, but then they almost lose to Kansas. So I don't know who to blame, and I want to go to you guys. So who do you think is more responsible for their struggles, the coach, Tom Herman, or their AD, Chris Del Conte? All right, well, I think I would like to start my answer to this question with a little bit of history. So I just want to remind all the listeners what happened with the Longhorn season last year. They were 9-3 and three in the regular season. They upset Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry. They then lost in the Big 12 championship game and then beat Georgia soundly in the Sugar Bowl to finish with a 10-4 and four record. So... It's not so long ago that Texas was having some success. In light of this season, 7-5, and five, as you mentioned, JT, 5-4 and four in conference, who is more responsible? I am going to put it on Coach Tom Herman, not the AD. But it's also important, I think, to look at the losses that they have suffered. The number two team in the country, LSU, the number six team in the country, Oklahoma, and the number seven team in the country in Baylor. So three losses right there most teams in the country are going to lose to. The ones that hurt him the most are the Iowa State loss and the TCU loss. And that's the difference in your record being 9-3 and three and 7-5, and five, and that's the reason we're having this conversation. So going back to your Jekyll and Hyde point, like those are the games they need to clean up, and that comes down to coaching. That doesn't come down to the AD. That's on Tom Herman, his staff, and his players. While they are 5-4 and four in the conference, they're tied with three other teams at that position, and if you win one or two of those games against TCU or Iowa State, then you're in third place behind Oklahoma and Baylor, who've both had great seasons, strong programs. So, you know, okay, you take that and hope to improve upon that next year. Uh, he makes some really good points. I never thought about it that way. 
You're up, man. I don't know if you can top that he one. He does. He does. I'm scared to go. Why do I have to follow up that one? Um, I agree. I think it's on Tom Herman. He's three seasons in now, and he hasn't improved. I mean, he took that good step last year, and now he regressed even with what you said. I still think it's a step back. Now, the thing is, I'm going to give him time. Like, I still think he's the most responsible for their struggles, but I'm not saying to fire him. Like, I will give him time because, you know, JT, I believe – a college coach at least has to get four years unless he does something legally wrong or just is is it's a mess. But so I'll give him time because he has not been terrible. I mean, those records are still above 500. Now, he still gets the blame though because his overall record is 24 and 15. So it's not great. But again, it's not terrible. The thing is if he goes 7 and 5 again, like, I'll give you this year, because you bring up great points, Coach Cassidy, of who he's lost to. But if he goes 7-5 and five again, 5-4 five and four in the conference, he's going to be gone, whether that's right or wrong. He's just going to be gone. He has the players for the Big 12. Like, there's no reason not to win more than seven games. And he's just not making it happen on the field. And to me, at some point, you got to look at the coach instead of the, the players all the time. Hey, you guys make really good points. I just think that, in a way, I think it's both of their faults, but I think it's more of Texas as a program. They've been doing this for a while. And I think the biggest issue with them as far as their struggles is, you can just look at the NFL. They just – I don't know what – and they recruit really well according to, like, the websites and rivals. They just don't put NFL players on the field because you can look at the players that have been drafted. I don't think they've put a good player in the league since Kenny Vaccaro. Like, who from Texas has been good they put in the NFL? And that's why they haven't won championships, and that's why they continue to struggle no matter who comes in there and is the coach. And, yes, I think this year, and I think we talked about this in the, in the beginning of the year, uh, the quarterback, Ellinger, they, they hyped him up way too much when every analyst who knew anything about quarterbacks said he sucked and he was overrated. He, he played exactly how they said he was going to play. They've had injuries all year. I feel like they've, they've always kind of battled the injury bug the past maybe like five years. So, I just think this is what Texas is. Recruiting has changed. They're they're getting a lot of players from Texas like they normally do, but they're not getting those. I think Miami suffers from this sometimes. Too. You're not getting those secondary two or three stars that normally would go to you because rec- people don't get tape on these guys, and those guys are going other places in, in this program and stuff suffering. So I don't think you. It would take so, a, an amazing coach to come into Texas and turn it around. I just think that this is what Texas is now, now that the recruiting landscape has changed. Like, they're going to be a 7-5 and five team and hope some of those games flip their way and they become 9-3. and three. That's just who they are. I don't I don't think anybody's more responsible than any, than any other party. But with that being said, Texas can't stay like this forever because they're just going to shut the school down if they do. What do you think they need to do to get back to national prominence and what they used to be in the past? All right, so... What they need to do, they have already started doing. Coach Herman this week has made staff changes. He fired defensive coordinator Todd Orlando, and he also shook up the staff on the offensive side of the ball. He re- uh, relieved the offensive coordinator, Tim Beck, of his duties, and he's just going to go down and be a uh, position coach. And then one of the wide receivers coach, outside wide receivers coach, and pass game coordinator was fired. And the inside receivers coach was reassigned to an off-field position. So anytime you're making that dramatic of moves on your staff, says something. So he realizes, he, Tom Herman, realizes that things need to be reevaluated 
and changed. So those things are already taking place. He's interviewing, supposedly, Graham Harrell, the OC from USC, and wants to interview Joe Brady for the job. And Del Conte apparently has said that money will not be an issue to get whoever they need to be the next coordinator. So they they got to sort out the staff. Tom Herman's got to sort out the staff. Then you just got to do a great job in recruiting. But then also, building on your point, JT, they got to do a great job in player development. It doesn't matter if you get four stars and five stars if they don't get better once they're in Austin. They've got to improve, and they've got to keep this, you know, developing their talent. Absolutely right. And I'm, I'm, I know I kind of brought up a little bit, and this is why I say maybe, some, maybe getting Graham Harold or Brady will help. But if you look at their team since 2010, they have just three first-round picks. And – Earl Thomas is included in this group in 2010. So think about it. Earl Thomas is the best player they've put in the league in the past decade. Like, that's insane. Earl Thomas is an old-ass man. Anytime <laughs> he's number one, Vaccaro's number two, and then I guess you can count. Colt McCoy? Colt McCoy? He's not, no, he's not a first-round. I'm talking about first-round picks. Oh, first-rounder. Uh, okay, okay. Malcolm Brown, a D-tackle to the Patriots. Like, the rest of these guys on this list are, like, not even in the league or they're barely hanging on. Like they just don't have NFL talent. And I think that's why they struggle, but he makes good coach makes good points. Maybe they can bring some of these innovative minds in and turn it around. Well, he br- that was one of the things I was going to say was that he's already kind of the staff, the new staff has to set the standard, but I'm going to leave that up to the expert of what they need to do, get back to prominence. But this is what I want to throw out to you guys and to the listeners. Okay. Cause Everyone thinks, just like as Hurricane fans, we all think we're entitled and we're this big, bad program. But let's face the facts. Their first season, 1893, right? All right, this is a long time ago. All right, you guys are getting out of of hand with the history. But hold on. Hold on. Claimed national titles. You know how many they have in, what, 126 years? Guess how many they have? Six or seven. Four. Four. And these are the years. 63. 69, 70, and 05. Like, Texas fans think they're this big, big, bad Alabama, Ohio State, Miami from the 80s program. Like, you're not. Face the facts. You are not. Okay? Like, Oklahoma in the past 25 years has as many titles (coughs) as you. They beat you all the time in the Red River rivalry lately. Like, you're not a big, bad program. I'm sorry to say. And, like, they're not historically, again, Notre Dame, like USC. Like, those are the historical programs. And Notre Dame hasn't won in a while either, and they always think they're entitled too. Like, you're not entitled, even as Hurricane fans. We're not entitled. You take away the 80s, we probably, I hate saying this, we probably don't have a program. So, like, you getting back to national prominence, don't expect to go 11-1 and every year unless you – get the next Nick Saban. That's just the way it is. I think what they need to do to get back to national prominence is they need to do the same thing that I suggested that the Miami Hurricanes do, which is Chris Del Conte, this is what you need to do. Open up that checkbook, take a blank check, drive to Urban Meyer's house and say, here you go, name your price, the program is yours to run. They need to do something that drastic because – what they're doing obviously isn't working. They obviously need to make a big hire coaching-wise. I don't think Herman's the guy. But 
I think they need to get back to what they used to do, and this is what made them successful, like in the early 2000s, and then you know, kind of like that 2008, 2009 range, is they need to get back to recruiting the hell out of Texas, getting those two and three stars that are now going to other programs like Houston and North Texas, and putting those teams on the map. And they need to get those guys back in the program instead of only going after these overhyped five stars that don't pan out. Look how many Texas programs have gone up around Texas as they've declined. You telling me Mason Fine at North at North Texas, the quarterback, Texas wouldn't love to have him right now? They, he, he'd be a stud. Uh, what's his name? Ed Oliver went to Houston. How does that happen in Texas? He was a five-star. I think he was a top player in the state. There was a time that... If you were a t- if you were a player in Texas, Texas would offer you, and if you said no before when they offered you, if you said no, they pull your scholarship no matter what your what your ranking was. They need to get back to that. They need to get back to getting all the talent in Texas, and they need to do a better job evaluating talent. But part of that is being patient with your head coach, and that's why I'm saying you don't get rid of Tom Herman. You're like, what what can they do instantly to get back to national prominence? I'm telling you it right now, happen. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer would come in here and lock Texas down. But it doesn't matter. It would not happen overnight. Like, it's not going – even with Urban Meyer, you know why he was so good at Ohio State right away? Because the, infra- the infrastructure was there for years. Because he, che- he cheated. It was there no, for I years. because Trestle, cause Trestle yes. basically set it up. And even before then, John Cooper but was Texas, there. How many times – listen, hold on. How Guys many- in Texas love Texas still, no matter if they're sorry or not. That's not true. That is not true. You're talking about all these guys not going to Texas. Well, you know what happens when I'm a four or five star recruit and it's my senior year and Charlie Strong is coming to my house recruiting me and his staff and all of a sudden there's rumors, oh, he's going to be gone in two games. Why would I go there? Why would I go there? You need to have stability at the big time programs like that. USC, if they keep changing their coach, they're going to be in the same spot. Like, if they got re- rid of Pete Carroll right away, they would not have had that great run. Like, they need to be patient. He's not terrible. He's building something. Let him build it out before you're talking about making these sweeping changes. Well, here's the thing. This is his third year, right? This yeah. was the, the – yes, the end of his third year. Third year. He better go get a quarterback that he can put his stamp on as this is my guy. Because if he doesn't – because he's, he's supposed to be the offensive guru when he came in. If he doesn't go get his guy, it you there's no way you can keep him. But, they need to recruit better and develop players. Sam, That's the only thing they can do to get back to national promise. But, Everybody else in the state of Texas is doing it. Why can't Texas do it? They have the most resources out of any school in that entire state. Because, there's no way they shouldn't be kicking ass. Because I've told you they have not had the stability at the top as the head coach. When the administration and boosters want to get rid of Charlie Strong in his first year, who do you expect to recruit? You're going to get two stars that have no chip on their back because they probably should not be two stars. Like, I, I don't know what you want there. I want Urban Meyer. So, I, I just want to add that I do think that uh, Tom Herman does have the pedigree. He worked under Urban Meyer himself. He worked under Mac Brown. He was actually at Houston when Ed Oliver went there, was really successful at Houston. So he was actually playing a role in the rise of, of the Cougars there. Um, and I think, like, he is known to be a really good recruiter and an offensive guru, as you said. Like, I'm with the Don here. He needs a little more time. He doesn't have a whole lot of room for error, uh, but they got to keep him, and he can bring them back to national prominence. Well, here he's in year four. 
Tom Herman, you're officially on the clock. Yeah, good luck. You're on the clock. So let's transition to quick hitters. Donato, do you have a sponsor for us this week? Uh, Nope. Coach, you got a sponsor for us? You're the superstar amongst us. Uh, I wish I had. Next time, next time I'm on, if I'm lucky enough, I will do some homework on a sponsor. All right. See, that's what I want to hear. That's better than any answer you get. Dude, no guest is ever going to want to come on if you're putting them to work. What is wrong with you, JT? I'm, I'm not putting them to work. I'm just asking him for help. That's it's your difference. job. That is your job. You're pawning it off. That's what he does, coach. That's what he does, coach. He know he works with you. He knows it's not true. Anyway, so let's run through these really quick. Um, it, obviously, the, there's still some more games to be played, but who do you guys think is going to win the Heisman this year if you had to pick one person today? Burrow? Yeah, Joe Burrow. Yeah, Burrow. I think we're all in agreement there. Coach of the year. Uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say on this one because I went back and forth a little bit, but I think that I would like to give it to Ed Orgeron because of the degree to which he – took the chance in the offseason and, like, totally blew up the offense and rebuilt it. If Baylor wins, I got to go Matt Rule because he took a program that was in not just, like, on-field issues but off-field issues. It was in death penalty stage. It was. And, like, to now, if he wins is what I'm saying because he'll have won the Big 12, beat Oklahoma, I have to give it to him. If they lose, I go Ryan Day. Okay, I like those. I'm going with uh, Orgeron, too, just because I want to hear him give his acceptance speech <laughs> full on occasion. Um, wait, 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 wait. JT, you do a lot of imitations. Coach Cassidy does a great Coach O. Can, can you do one if, if you win? The- oh, Tigers. <laughs> Shoot. We can, just, we can just have him on the show and pretend it's Ed. <laughs> oh, you weren't supposed to say that. Now fans will know. Oh, they won't remember. Uh, let's let's go the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, which coach do you think will be fired for sure at the end of this year? So uh, I guess my prep was done a little too soon because I have Clay Helton down here. And just within a few hours ago, the news breaks that he's coming back, which I actually believe is the right decision. Uh, and, I mean, this is supposed to be a quick hitter, but I could have a whole segment on this Clay Helton thing. But uh, I actually had predicted him to be fired after Lynn Swan left. Uh, the new AD comes in. Uh, you know, people in uh, the USC fan world, booster world, have not been happy with him. So I thought he was going to get canned. There's a lot of criticism about his lack of recruiting talent. So uh, if he loses Graham Harrell and early signing day doesn't go well, maybe it can still happen. Who knows? But I'm not cheering for it. Yeah, no, we never we never cheer for that, but these are, you know, topics that do come up, unfortunately. FSU fans do cheer for it. <laughs> um I've got two here. I've got Will Will Muschamp and Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith wants to be fired so bad, you can see it in his face. Um good call with Muschamp. That's actually who I had down too. Uh I feel like he's the one coach nobody's really talking about. They're 4 and 8 this year. I think and, it's because I think it's because of that Georgia win. Yeah. And I feel like South Carolina's just not recruiting the guys they used to get to go there. Like they used to get guys like Clowney and Marcus Lattimore. Like they're not even sniffing that level of talent anymore. Yeah, for sure. Marcus Lattimore, one of my favorite running backs to to watch. Injuries cut, you know, his career short, unfortunately. All right, so fellas, weekend predictions, first game. JT, I'll go with you first. Oregon versus Utah, I think I know who you got here. 
You know what's so funny? I actually put down Oregon when I did this last night, and I did it just to troll you because I thought there was a chance. But you petty. know what? See, nah. see how petty. No, I actually really did put down Oregon, but I'm gonna go with Utah just because I've been with them from the beginning. I think they're a good defense, and I I just don't trust Justin Herbert to carry this team to a conference championship. Coach. Yeah, I'm with you. I've got Utah 24-16, a defensive Ooh. score in there. I'm going to go Oregon, Justin Herbert. Of course. of course. Coach, you'll go first on this one, Baylor, Oklahoma. Uh, I've got Oklahoma in this one. I think CeeDee Lamb's back. They're experienced here in the title game. They won't get off to that slow start. They're going to pull it out. But it will be close, 34-27 Sooners. I love how you give us the scores, too. Uh, JT. I think Oklahoma wins by 20. Wow. Okay. I'm going to go Baylor, the Baylor Bears. Coach, Cincinnati, Memphis. All right. This game is so intriguing with the back-to-back one week apart. And I think with that, you're going to have to expect it to be a little uh, more low scoring. Uh, Don, you talked about the special teams touchdown early, so I'm going to narrow the margin of victory, but stay with the Tigers. Memphis wins 28-24. Nice. JT. Yeah, I got, I got Memphis winning as well. I, I've got Memphis as well. So, our last three games, Georgia LSU, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Virginia, and Clemson. Of those games – are there any upsets that you have in there? So that way, just to make it go quick here. Any upsets? Because I've got it, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, not going to lie. Yeah, I got the same thing. I think all three of those teams take care of business. Yeah, no upsets. Okay. Any close oh, games in there? There's, there's, there's no road the boat games in here? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're not in it. We won't talk about it. The can, can got we, can, last weekend. Thank you. Can we just celebrate the fact that neither one of these guys said that quote during this show? Thank God. Any of those games close? I actually think that uh, George is going to keep it close. Uh, In looking back on both team seasons, Georgia most reminds me in terms of the style and the way that they play and the way that they're built, especially on defense, of Auburn. And if you look at that LSU-Auburn game, it was competitive. And that was actually in Death Valley, I believe. So I think Georgia's D, especially their D-line, can keep it kind of competitive, the fact that it's in Atlanta. Um, but LSU's too good. Um, so I've got LSU 31-23. JT, any close games? Nah. I think nah, they'll, all, I, be, they'll I, all be handled. Yeah, I, I think those three games, I don't see any of them being close. Now, I want to say something because I talked about – I know we didn't discuss this in the production meeting, JT – I want to talk about – I had mentioned Cincinnati-Memphis, right? They were 10-point favorites at home, now on a neutral – or is it a home game again? A home game it, for Memphis. For that, okay, so it's 10 again, even though Cincy played it close. Now, Baylor was at home earlier with Oklahoma and got 10 points, right? So you got to figure they were given three extra for being at home, so really they were probably underdogs by 13. Now on a neutral field, it's still a 10-point game, 10 points to Baylor. So now they're saying since they last played, they're basically saying that Baylor's three points better than what they were the last time they played. Does that worry any of you? No, I, I, think, think, o- I, I think, think Oklahoma just got caught sleeping without C.D. Lamb. But, but I think that that actually helps. Vegas is saying Baylor's better than what we thought last time. So I think, ba- I think Vegas is kind of hedging themselves saying, you know what, 
Like, we can't make this 13 points because we think Baylor's going to keep it close. No thoughts on that? I just think you look at the performance of both teams all year, they've found themselves in close games. So, I mean, that, that, that makes sense to me. And also, I think anytime you see the rematch, you see, like, the opponents know each other a little bit better. They're able to go back and study that film. So, no surprise to me. All right. So, Hail Mary predictions. Coach, you got one for us? I do. I was so caught off guard last, uh, last appearance on the show. All I've been thinking about since then has been my Hail Mary predictions. Uh, because <laughs> I have nothing for this weekend, I'm looking ahead to the only game on the calendar next weekend. So Army's had a little bit of a down year. They're 5-7. and seven. Navy's had a great season. So I think, you know, obviously Navy's going to come in next weekend in the Army-Navy game favored probably, you know, not heavily but significantly. But Army's won three straight, and I'm going to go with the Black Knights under Jeff Monken to pull off the upset in 10 days or so in Philly. Nice. I, I liked how you looked ahead. Impressive. Is that allowed? Is that allowed? That's, hey, that's why you're the expert. JT, Hail Mary prediction. Hail Mary prediction. Eli Manning is going to start this weekend because Daniel Jones is injured, and I think they go and beat the Eagles, and he has a 300-yard, three-touchdown passing game. See, Coach, this is why every once in a while JT and I yell at each other because this is – our let me look at it again college football conference championship special and he throws an nfl hail mary prediction in there like why do you do that i he just did likes it to just, grind I my did, gears i did i did it just to make you mad but i do think that's gonna happen because i just found out eli man is gonna be starting that's so funny <laughs> 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 no um of course no but my but my prediction is that and I didn't get to mention this earlier when we were talking about uh, the Ohio State-Wisconsin game. I actually think Justin Fields is going to struggle in this game because I, I didn't think he played that great against Michigan, and he's a little banged up. So I think that he's going to struggle in this game, and I think it's going to be J.K. Dobbins is the reason they win that game. So look for look for him to not have the greatest game against Wisconsin. Yeah, he took a, he took a hit to the lower leg there against Michigan, and it did not look good, but he bounced back, so – they were side note. They were. I read reports where they were saying that they feel so confident that Ohio State can win this game that they were considering that maybe just sitting him for this game and saving him for the playoffs, which I think is insane. But if he's that banged up, maybe something they do. That's what happens when you have three Heisman candidates on your team and you just give the ball to J.K. Dobbins. Yep. True. True. Uh, my hell mary prediction is that I already mentioned Baylor will win, but. And already said it's going to go down to the last play. And that last play is Baylor scores a two-point conversion for the win. Matt Rule, Coach of the Year. So, we have a new segment here in honor of one of my favorite shows, Jersey Shore with T-shirt time. All right. We've got, you're, you're openly admitting that on air. I'm I'm not ashamed uh, of that. If you if you do that, it's, I'm gonna have to distance myself from you. Like, I'll have to be the guest and coach gotta take my place. It's on like season six. I'm not the only one. Get with it, JT. Get with it. All right. So instead of t shirt time, we got something called trivia time. All right. So Coach Cassidy, Gosh, I know who's you're approving these. <laughs> definitely I you were in Miami. <laughs> definitely not nah, you. You've definitely been, I w- definitely would not approve anything in Jersey Shore. <laughs> So, Coach Cassidy, I know you're in Studio 107 with me. Don't look at the questions or the answers. So, I don't know how you guys want to do this because we don't have a buzzer. 
So whenever you have the answers, shout it out. I had to look some of these up. The last LSU quarterback to win a conference title, starting quarterback, of course. Jamarcus Flynn, Russell. You're Ooh, both man. wrong. I'll give you one more try if you really need it. Well, they had to have done it in 07, right? Who would have started in 07? was not 07. Oh. Say it again. Who's the last LSU QB to win a conference title for them? It's and they're the, and, sorry quarterback, and that's why he picked it. Um, well, you got to remember, they beat Bama back in 2011, right, in the 9-6 game. So yeah. who was the quarterback? Because it would have been that Jordan year. Jefferson? No, not bad. I have no clue. All right, Jarrett Lee. Ooh. Oh. All right, next one. The longest win streak. So, Ohio State has now won eight in a row against Michigan. The longest win streak in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry series. Which team? How many? And can you tell me the years? Damn. I mean, they've been posting this, so if you guys have been doing your homework, you would have seen it. Well, if we would have known we had homework to do, we would have seen it. JT, you uh, wouldn't do it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, I gotta say, probably Michigan, right? Michigan with maybe Coach. Do you 12. agree? Is it Michigan? I I would not go with Michigan. All right, no. so JT, you're right, Coach. It's Michigan. Oh, what years and how many? Twelve. All right, good guess. That's wrong, Coach Cassidy. I don't know. I guess probably like nine or ten. It is nine, and I'll give you the years. <laughs> Kind of funny. 1901 to 1909. Michigan won nine in a row. That's the that's the longest streak. Oh, was it Ohio State Community College before they became a full university? <laughs> Beca- they before won. they became the Ohio State? Well, yeah. I, how many, I wonder, did Trestle win in a row for Ohio State? Probably like six or seven. Yeah. Lloyd I, Carr won on his last I one. I think there. it was less than eight. Yeah. Um, but that's a good point because I think – Ohio State has Ohio State has won like sixteen of the last eighteen or yeah. something ridiculous. So, all right, last one. Who is the only college football team in? And I've got to get some shout outs to some of our fans. To Trey and Mike, they gave me this trivia time uh, idea question. Who is the only college team in the last forty years to lose three times? In a single season, in one season, three times, as 14 or more point favorites in those games. So they were favored in each of these three games that they lost by at least two touchdowns or more. That's in one season, three times? Yep, in one season, three times as two-plus TD favorites. I'm going with the U. JT, what do you say? Oh, that's tough. Um, I feel like this is a sorry-ass Jim Hallbar question. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really stumped because you know I'm not, in, I'm not into the Vegas thing. But damn, three times they were favored by 14 or more. Yep, and they lost. They lost. Can you give me the conference? He obviously doesn't know. Coach Cassidy, wait, 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 you, wait, wait, you wait, are wait, right. It is. I, the, I'll make, it's the U. It's the U. There's no more guessing. It's the U. Can you name the teams that they lost to? What's uh, the year? I won't give you the year. Who was the quarterback? He wants the easiest. Were they favored in that Notre Dame game that they got trounced in like four years ago, three years ago? Mm. The Mark Rick game. Uh, no. Was Remember, we trounced Notre Dame 41-8. Yeah, yeah, we Don't, beat them, yeah. 
Oh, did I have that backwards? You had it backwards. Yeah, don't yeah, do yeah. that, Coach. Don't, don't, yeah, don't, forget, don't, don't take the only good thing you have left. You will lose favor with our fans really quick. Hold on. Was this the year, the Al Golden year we lost to Kansas State? You guys obviously don't know, okay? Hey, Coach Cassidy, I'll give you a pass on it, but JT. It I was got, I got we, the original. Question. I know we lose so much. <laughs> it was everything's everything's one a of them had point loss. Season. Well, no, it's got to be in a single season that they, they lost three games in one season. Oh, in one season. It was this year: Central Michigan, Virginia Tech, FIU. <laughs> we were yep. favored by fourteen plus points in each of those three games, and we lost them outright. Not good. Lost them outright. That is, we are the only team in the last forty years to do that. So. Hey. Hey, we're making history. That's what it's all about. Yeah, the wrong, the wrong way. <laughs> Bad publicity is good publicity, I guess, right? Yep, there we go. <laughs> all right, well. Maybe it is time to bring back Al Golden in his necktie. Whoa, whoa. Hell no, 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 we no, got no. We got bad memories from those. No, no. He, he's, he's our Nelson Aguilar. We don't want him. <laughs> so, Coach Cassidy, the legend, thank you for coming on again. We appreciate your time. Great job as always. It's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. I look forward to watching these games and then connecting with you guys to see how they how they went down. Anytime. Absolutely, absolutely. And to our listeners and fans out there, thank you very much again. And please remember to subscribe to us, JT and the Don, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, among many others as well as please leave us a five-star review if you like what we do. And, JT, if you don't like what we do, please leave us a five-star review. And please follow us at JT and the Dawn on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And so, JT, until the next episode, see you. Peace.